Thanks for tuning in and making Res Life a part of your day. Whether this is your first time listening or this is a part of your weekly rhythm, we are glad you're here. If you'd like to connect more throughout the week, check us out at reslife.org, download our app, or follow us on social media. It's time for today's message, so let's dive in. Woo! Good morning, church. Hey. We had a good time in the first service. Y'all ready to have a good time? Before we go to full draw, a couple quick things. Number one, Pastor Dwayne and Jeannie, thank you. Thank you. You know, it takes courage to invite someone into your church. I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a prophet. I'm a nobody. God has a tendency of taking a nobody without asking anybody and making them a somebody. It takes bold faith to step out like they did. That's tremendous leadership, and I thank you both. I thank you both. For all of you online, I hear the tremendous online following. Welcome. We got folks from halfway around the world tuning in today. Welcome. We're going to go on a great journey. You know, I'd love to hook up with you guys on Facebook. We've got a, a screen up here. We'd love you to uh, uh, just check us out on Facebook, Bearman Facebook, Instagram. I'd uh, love to keep in touch with you guys. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, I, I was in the secular world for years. I stopped to do ministry full time. That's a whole nother story. Uh, we've got pastors in, our, in, in the ministry. Pastor South and Burn have been a pastor for 40 plus years. I, I usually fill in the plus, but he gets mad, tells him how old he is. But anyways, <laughs> we've got a, a, a daily podcast. Uh, it's called The Growl 365 um, every day it's a short devotional, uh, 10 minutes, just great, powerful messages from the Bible. would love to hook up with you guys and keep in touch. It's fantastic to be back to Michigan. Yes, I say back because I grew up in Michigan. I grew up just outside of Bay City. I went to Michigan State. Sorry for you U of Emmers. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I want to say happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. And I also want to recognize there's a lot of fathers in the room who perhaps have a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter, and you'd love for him to come home. Perhaps there's a prodigal son or a prodigal daughter in this room who is wondering, talk to me about that journey back home because I'm not home yet. And I will share with you, I am that prodigal son, and I'm still working on my journey home. And it's not an easy journey. But for all of those who have those happy homes with those children in the cards, there are a lot of people out there that are hurting. And for all of those, I'm going to give you today everything that the Lord gave me. All right, we're going on a journey. We got to buckle up. We're going to run up to the Northwest Territories of Canada, and we're going after moose. How many archery hunters do I have in the room? There we go. Got one whoop whoop over here. (laughs) This is interaction. You know, before you you plan these hunts like two years in advance, way in advance you plan these hunts, and I'm getting ready. I'm going after moose. It's some of the largest moose in the world. You can do Alaska. You can do Canada. For this particular trip, I chose Canada on the east side of the McKinsey Mountain Range, specifically the Providence of the Northwest Territories of Canada. So you get all your gear ready. I'm, I'm a little OCD. I pack up weeks in advance and I got all the gear by the front door and I'm getting ready to go to the airport. And my daughter who is here today, 
She runs up to me and she says, Daddy, I got great news for you. The pedicure shop is open. It's located yonder in the kitchen. Would you like to have your toes painted? And when your daughter asks you if you want to have your toes painted, the obvious answer is, yeah. So that's a picture of me. Sign me up. I'm sitting there at the kitchen table. I don't know what the heck color that is, like burnt orange for UT or something like that. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm thinking to myself, who's ever going to see my toes? I'm fixing to go to the Northwest Territories of Canada. I'm going to tell you right now, remember this screen. <laughs> remember this screen. For those of us who are a little geographically challenged, let me tell you how we get to where we're going. From Houston, Texas, you jump on a plane, you take off to Edmonton. From Edmonton, you, take, you go to Yellowknife. From Yellowknife, you go to Norman Wells, and the cities are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. In Norman Wells, we jump on a float plane. You head southwest into the McKinsey Mountain Range, about an hour, hour and 50-minute flight, and all of a sudden, you just, you're flying right over the tops of the mountains, and all of a sudden, he just banks, banks that helicopter, and he's, he's he, 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 the helicopter, that plane, he's just coming down, and it looks like this is like a little pond. I'm thinking, is, is, are you serious? Is that where we're landing? And it, you know, it's about the size of a football field, and he just lands that float plane right on that, on that tank, and he shifts it right over to the side. I didn't know you could parallel park a float plane, but you can. And he put that thing right over the side, and we jump off, and there's lots of activity. There were six other guys on the plane. They were all rifle hunters with me, seven of us total. And we got off the plane, your guy's in your ear just telling you all the things you got to get done. It's like no small talk, just bah, 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 right in my ear. And his name was Jordan. He's like, man, we got to get, get our bags packed. We got to get tents. I got to grab a rifle. We got to grab food rations. You got to pack your bag. We'll be gone for like 10 or 12 days. If you don't say anything, we're coming back. Just rapid fire. So we kind of bifurcated our duties and responsibilities. You hear your name called, and that's when you go out on the helicopter. So you, your guide, and the pilot, who also owned the outfit, get in the helicopter, and you just fly to a spot where he wants to put you. And after about 50 minutes, an hour in the helicopter, he banks around, and he lands us on this river, and specifically right on an oxbow of a river, and we're sitting there, and the helicopter's taking off, and all of our gear's down, and you got the, you know, the sand from the rotor wash, and you got your head, head's down, the, the chopper's flying off, and when the dust settles, I'm looking down, and I'm staring at a paw print about that big. I said, uh, hey, hey, Jordan, come over here a minute. Is, it, is that a grizzly bear print? And he comes running up to me, he looks at me, he goes, yeah, we're going to stay away from those. Let's roger that. You know, on these hunts, it's spot and stalk. It's all spot and stalk. On the second day of this hunt, where you just climb the mountains, you'll climb anywhere from 500 to 2,000 feet a day. Then you sit down, you glass, that's the spot. And if you see something you want to go after, that's where the stalk part comes in. We're just sitting there, we're glassing. And if you see on this picture that's up, on the other side of the river, we sat ahead, saw a grizzly bear just foraging around, trying to get fattened up for fall. The month is September. And, and Jordan's like, we got to keep a keen eye on that grizzly bear. And I'm thinking to myself through my binoculars, it's like, it's the speck. I'm like, but, but what for? And we had a cow moose come up in that draw that you see on the screen there right in front of us down those pines, which is perfect because the cows, the females draw in the males. And you get a big male and that's when the stalk starts. He said, you go glass to the north. I'm going to keep glassing here to the south. I'm going to keep my eye on that grizzly bear and see if we got any bulls that come in around this cow. I said, Perfect. After about an hour and a half, I hear him yell my name. He goes, Van Steenhouse, get over here. I go running over there with my bow in my hand. 
He says, that cow just come busting out of this draw and I lost sight of that grizzly. I'm standing there with a bow in my hand and all of a sudden up on that finger we were standing on at about 70, 72 yards, that grizzly just popped up. And they'll stand there and they'll look at you and they're on all fours and they just kind of rock their head back and forth. And Jordan's got a uh, 44 lever action, not the biggest rifle you'd like to have. He says, if that bear takes a step forward, I'm going to put one right in the dirt, right in front of his face. I was like, no problem. And no sooner did he say that, he's, that, that bear stepped forward and Jordan racked one into that 44, wham! And that dirt just exploded. And then he charged. 70 became 60, became 50, became 40. And all of a sudden, he's just getting closer and closer and closer. And Jordan throws another round in that 44 and just hammered that bear right in the side. And you could just hear that bear just, just get hit and just let out a growl, just rawr, and spun. And he barreled off down into the willows. And I'm standing there, six foot four, 230 pounds, shaking like a leaf. Jordan still got that 44 on his shoulder, just standing there still. I'm right to his right. And it dawned on me. All the safety that you think you have is now gone. You are in different territory. You are not the alpha anymore. All the safety and all the comforts of home here in Granville, when you take Granville and you put it in the Northwest Territories of Canada, that doesn't go with you. Your ADT alarm system doesn't go with you. And it happens in an instant where you realize you better be on top of your game. The next day to get away from where that incident happened, we probably hiked two and a half, three miles. Went to this beautiful spot and we just sitting there spotting all day long. We didn't see much activity. It was a beautiful day and I don't know about you, but I get bored really, really fast. You know, you can call it OCD, you can call it you know, whatever, you know, poster child for Ritalin. Anybody else in here get bored really fast? Yeah, okay, perfect, you understand. And you'll see there behind my left foot is my satellite phone. I'm not the guy that reads directions, right? Directions, directions to me are when you, when you get your bikes for your kids and you put them all together and all those little parts and pieces that are left over, rather them, them are just extras in case something breaks. If they come with pictures, I'm all into directions. If it's just words, not interested. Well, I'm up in Canada, and I figured I'd have plenty of time. I pick up this satellite phone, I start screwing around with it. This is an amazing piece of equipment. You can get your, 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 your altitude, your longitude, your latitude. I realized I could text message my wife, and as the day's going on, and I'm just fiddled, fiddling around with this satellite phone, the sun starts going down, and Jordan says, we need to start heading back to camp. It's like, man, no problem. We got a couple miles to go. I'm like, no problem. He starts to jog. That's a problem. This is how I'm dressed. After about 50 yards, I grab him by the back of the neck. I'm like, what are you doing? He looks at me and says, Van Steenhouse, when that sun goes down, you and I are low man on the totem pole. I did not have trouble running back to camp. <laughs> I remember I woke up that next morning and it was freezing cold. It was one of those mornings where the, the frost is just so heavy on your tent. And I had water in a, in a bottle inside the tent and the water froze. And it was just, it was just frigid, frigid cold. 
And you're getting, you're, you're, you know, you come out of that sleeping bag and it's just the rudest, it's like, it's like, it's like a newborn baby. They come out and they're like, ha, that's what I felt like coming out of that sleeping bag. And I was putting on every piece of clothing that I had brought for that 10 day hunt. I was putting it on. I looked like the Michelin man when we started walking up that mountain. We probably climbed eight, 900 feet and I'm sweating like crazy. And we are climbing, climbing, climbing. We get to this little, this little ledge. And by this time, I'm, I'm half dead, sweating like crazy. And we had another four or 500 feet to get to the top of this finger so we could peer off to the other side. And Jordan looked back at me and says, look, man, here's the deal. We got to get to the top. Let's shed a couple layers. I'm like, man, you don't have to ask me twice. Taking off everything, throwing it in a pile. He says, take your bow, take your binoculars. I'll take the rifle. I'll take our binoculars, my binoculars. We'll put our gear down. We'll go up there, take a look, and we'll be right back. I was like, man, no problem. Threw it all in the pile. We head up. And we're just up there on top, glassing for moose. And George, we're sitting down, just literally sitting down, just like you are, on the ground, and he is to my left. And every once in a while, we'd have a conversation. And when I'm looking, you know, downhill with, through my binoculars, after a while, you start getting vertigo. And I remember at about 10 o'clock, I put my binoculars down and I asked Jordan a question. And has he turned to me to answer my question? He said one word. He said bear. And you know, it's interesting, one of my favorite quotes, if you don't run into the devil from time to time, you may have to question if you're running in the same direction. Before I define for you what bear meant, I want to give you an example of bear speed and agility. You see, everybody, everybody has a conception in their mind based on previous experiences of what they think it's like in the, in the Northwest Territories of Canada or anywhere else for that particular matter, of if you were to run into a grizzly bear, how are they going to act? And usually we draw from our past, and that means a zoo experience where you're giving boo-boo a cracker. <clears throat> Folks, this ain't boo-boo. They have no ability uh, 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 of how much effort to exert when they're they killing prey to eat it. It's 100% all the time or nothing. They don't have the ability to cut it back if it's a rabbit or give extra if it's a moose. It's 100% all the time until the prey is dead and they get to eat. And to put this in visual terms, I have a little video for you. It's a video of two grizzly bears sizing each other up. And then they determine that they've had enough of one another and you will be able to see exactly the strength in the way of which they attack when provoked. Check it out. They're sizing each other up right here. Wait for the first move. And then here it comes. Right there. That's how they play. That's how they fight. They don't hold anything back. And if you want to know what a grizzly bear looks like in the Northwest Territories of Canada, here's a paw. They can grow upwards of a thousand pounds. They're protected. They've never been hunted. 
They're a spiritual animal with the Inuits, the Eskimos. When they hear a rifle report, they don't run from the rifle report, they run to it. Why? Because more often than not, there's a carcass there for them to eat. A rifle is a dinner bell. They can smell food from over two miles away. They smell 2,100 times better than you and I do. They can eat upwards of 90 pounds of food a day. They bite with enough pressure to crush a bowling ball. And in short distances, they can get speeds up to 35 to 37 miles an hour. They are the alpha. They're the alpha. When Jordan looked at me and said, Bear, he was right to my left. He wasn't looking at me. He was looking through me as if I was a piece of cellophane. And I just instinctively followed his eyes straight over. And at my four o'clock, right off of my right shoulder, was a mature boar grizzly bear. He's on all fours. They just, they'll rock their head back and forth. And they'll, they'll put out a low grunt sound, just a, curl their lips and snap their teeth. I'd look back at the grizzly who was right here to my four o'clock and I just instinctively rolled back to Jordan. He had that 44 lever action. I, I got a bow on my lap and had he grabbed that 44 lever action, I'd have just laid back. I was in a line of fire and just let him roll thunder right over me. And I look back at Jordan, he was in the same spot. And when I look back at that grizzly, bam, he lunged. People like to ask, what were you thinking? Now, I'll be truthful with you, not a lot. I'll tell you the things that I do remember. A few things came to my mind. I thought about my wife. I thought about my daughter. I have two sons. I don't know why they didn't cross my mind. I guess they're on their own. <laughs> I distinctly remember thinking, Lord, have me. Here I come. There are things that happen in life, and that was one of them for me, where I knew unequivocally there was no way I was going to survive that. I knew I was going to die. When that bear lunged, I just rolled my right shoulder over, put my hands over my head, which was the first thing that he went for. When canines enter your skull, you do not hear that externally. You hear the cracking of your skull internally. As my hands got caught up in his mouth and the fingers and bones were breaking like twigs, that you hear externally. Hit my right shoulder, left shoulder, right side, left side, right hip, left thigh, right calf. Then all of a sudden everything stopped. I just remember being thrown around, then all of a sudden everything stopped. All I was trying to do is just push my face against the ground as hard as I could, then all of a sudden just the world just stopped. And I'm laying on the ground with my face just buried in the dirt, and I'm, you know, my eyes are closed, my hands are out, and I'm thinking to myself, this is amazing. Nothing hurts. And I opened my eyes, and right out of my left eye, right here, I could see that grizzly's nostrils. And he's just standing there. And I could see the nostril, I could see the moisture on his nostrils and feel the breath being drawn in and pushed out. 
And I just, just, you're just watching it right out of the corner of my eye. And all of a sudden, that bear took a step to his left. And he would look back. And he'd take another step. And he would look back. He got about nine or 10 yards away. And I, I picked my head up and I'm looking around. I had no idea where I was. You see, when the accident happened, I was 50 yards up the hill. He dragged me half of a football field down the mountain. I'm about ready to be into the pine trees, which is what they do. They take you down. They bury you, let you soften up, then they'll come back and eat you. That's their MO. And I'm thinking, do I lay here, play dead? Do I go up the mountain? I, I mean, I figured up was the only way. He had to have dragged me down. I'm about ready in the pine trees. What do I do? <clears throat> He's still standing over there. And I said, staying here is not going to be my option. I'm going I'm to I'm I'm try to get out of here. I get to my knees. It's raining outside. I stand up and I look down at my clothes and it looks like I'd just gotten in a fight with Edward Scissor's hands. My clothes are shredded. And you can see the camouflage right in front of your eyes just go from camo to red. It's just, it's just going from camouflage to red. And you can see where the, 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 the cloth is just shredded and it would start filling that shredded cloth and come to the, come to the tip and have nowhere else to go and they just start dripping. And I look down at the ground, the mossy ground, and it's just pools of blood. And it was raining outside and I went to wipe the water off my face and I looked at my hands and my fingers were going in directions that I'd never seen before. And I was like, oh, threw that hand down, brought up my left hand, looked and that was even worse. I wiped my brow with my forearm and I realized that wasn't rain at all. That was blood. And then I was scared. I started just stumbling up the mountain Walking and stumbling. And I'm screaming Jordan's name. I'm going up. I had no idea where he was. I'm just screaming his name. And finally, after I, I'm walking up screaming, Jordan, 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 I hear him yell, Jim. I'm thinking, oh, oh, we're getting closer and closer. And all I want to do is get close enough and ask him, is my head okay? We're getting closer and closer. And just about the time I got close enough to ask him, is my head okay? I looked at him and he looks at me. He goes, holy, mm. fill in the blank. Then I was petrified. You see, we not only had to get back up to where the accident started, we had to get back down to the other side where we left our gear because we were going to be right back. I will tell every hunter in this room, I don't care where you go, I don't care how much your backpack weighs, you never, never leave your gear we got back down to the gear. I just remember collapsing on my backpack. And by the time I could just feel the blood running down the back of my neck and feel it coming out of my sides. And you can see it dripping off my pants. And then the, the, the moss around me, it's starting to pool up with blood. And, and Jordan had what's called an in-reach satellite system. He would communicate with base camp every single day to let them know we were okay. And he pulled that system out and he fired it up to let them know we had an emergency. And it just wasn't, it wasn't working or wasn't working fast enough. I don't, I don't know what the issue was. I don't know if it was the Indian or the arrow. It doesn't matter. It just wasn't working. I said, Jordan, I got my, my, my satellite phones in my backpack. Pull that out. I didn't read the directions, but there's a red button on top. And if you hit that red button, it's the SOS button. I think they send the Navy SEALs. He took that satellite phone out, he powered it up, <clears throat> hit that red button. And about 10 seconds later, we got a text message that said, Dear Iridium user, in order to use the SOS feature on your satellite phone, you must first pre-register. It's a free service, but required before it'll work. <clears throat> Read the directions. 
I said, Jordan, you're going to need to call my wife. From the McKenzie Mountain Range in the Northwest Territories of Canada, Jordan on that satellite phone called my wife. She's in the parking lot of a grocery store in Houston, Texas. Miss Van Steenhouse, this is Jordan Wagner. Your husband has been attacked by a grizzly bear. I need you to write down our longitude and latitude as quickly as possible, please. Then the phone cut out. The emergency service cut out, put themselves in, cut them out, put themselves in. Jordan gave them the longitude and latitude. And then the waiting began. We waited, waited. And all of a sudden, you could hear from miles away down the Canada the reverberation of those rotor blades on the helicopter just foo, 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 foo. like, yes, 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 yes. You can't see it, but you can hear it. You just shoot, shoot, shoot. It's getting closer and closer and closer. And Jordan's got a, a brown sack, burlap sack looking thing, and he's looking for the helicopter. And finally, we see it come out of that canyon. It's like, shoo, shoo, shoo. Yes, 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 yes. And then it goes below us, but right down the river. I'm like, no, 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 where are you going? And it's a shoo, 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 and it's gone. It's like, ah. And all of a sudden, foo, foo, you hear it coming back in front of us like no it can't see us how's this happening it goes around the mountain and that comes finally comes back around it's right in front of us but we're on this ledge and you can't see over the ledge and all of a sudden shoo, right in front of us I am staring straight into the eyes of that pilot as he takes that helicopter and lands it on the finger of that mountain and out of the back of the helicopter jumped a couple guides and a gentleman Dr. Bob Burlingame he was one of the six rifle hunters in the party he had shot a moose on the second day and was back at base camp. He's a renowned eye surgeon and jumped on the helicopter to offer medical aid. He came running over. I'm laying out against the backpack, and he starts asking me all these questions, and in my mind, I'm answering his questions. And he looked at the guys and says he's completely non-responsive. I was in shock. They, laid, they put two backpacks on the ground, laid me out, picked me up by the shoulder straps, and shoved me into the, into the back of the helicopter sideways, lifted off, and went back to base camp. You see, the Coast Guard could not get anything in to get me because the ceiling was too low. And they told Stan, if you're going to get him out, he's going to live, you're going to have to fly him out. They rigged up that helicopter to take extra fuel they had to take it out of the mountains in a way that Stan had never done before. They had to follow the river to stay low because the cloud ceiling was too low to go out the way that he normally goes. So they put the extra fuel in it, stuck me in the back. We lifted off. And we're flying down the river. We came into that place four days earlier. I came in on that float plane. We're flying gracefully over the tops of the mountains. It was beautiful. Now we're screaming out of those mountains right on the river. And I'm sure Stan was at a safe distance above the river, but it felt like we were just so close to that river. And he's following. You can just hear the rotor blades just screaming as the helicopter is going down that river. And he'd take, a, take one of those river beds. You just feel that whole helicopter just move your body. And then it, it gets in. And go back the other way. And you just feel your body moving. And you're looking out the window. And all I see are just rock and dirt and snow. And it just looked like everything in those mountains just wanted to grab that helicopter and smash it. I was petrified. You're looking down at my, my body. And it's like everything that I have, it, the camo is gone. It's just red. 
and you can feel the blood coming down my neck and out, out of my ribs and out of my thighs, and, and it, would, it, would, it, would, it would kind of gather over here and then somehow make its way to a depression in the seat right here. And then it would fill up on the seat, and then it would just start dripping over, and you'd just hear it onto the floor, just drop, drop, and you'd see the floor puddle just get bigger and bigger as that helicopter just screaming through on that river. And I'd lose consciousness, snap my head back up, lose consciousness, snap my head back up. One time when I lifted my head, I asked myself, if I lose consciousness right here, right now, in the back of this helicopter, and I close my eyes and I never open them again, Am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? If I told you right now to close your eyes and 50% of you will never open them again, that question becomes real, real fast. And I panicked. I absolutely panicked in the back of that helicopter. All my life, all of my life, I've been nothing but a slave to selfishness. All of my life, all I've wanted to do is get what I wanted and it didn't matter who I had to affect or who, what faces I had to step on or who I had to trample to get what I wanted. That was my entire life. Now I can blame it on my parents. That's easy, I can blame anybody for anything. I was a professional blamer. I was like Teflon. Any problem I had, somebody else caused my problem. That was my life. I could blame it on my mom for growing up in an environment where nothing was ever good enough for my dad, growing up in an environment where the work is never done. So all of my life, I'm just, it's like, just striving to more and more and more. You think more, the more I do, the better I do. I'll get, to, get the affection that I want, but it never comes. So you just keep pushing the bar higher and higher and higher and putting stuff in the abyss, and it never gets full. Meanwhile, just relationship after relationship after relationship. Marriages, divorces, multiple, adultery, abortions, alcohol, drugs, rehabilitation. I'm about ready to close my eyes, and that's my life. That's what I've done after 48 years. I knew the answer. I knew the answer. And at the peak of my panic, as I'm looking at it, the back of this train wreck of my life, for the first time in my life, I felt the Holy Spirit come over me. You accepted Jesus Christ in the third grade. That is a true statement. In a tiny basement Methodist church in Wisner, Michigan, I can remember the smell. I can remember the curtain that surrounded that table. I can remember, I can't remember the day, I can remember the moment, but I just remember the little moments of that day when I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior in the third grade, and for the next 47 years, I've done nothing for Jesus Christ. And in the peak of my panic, he said, you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. He has forgiven your sins of the past, your sins of the day, and your sins of the future. It's all forgiven, and it's by his grace through the cross. Through the cross. There's nothing that I can do. It's his grace. 
At the peak of my panic when I spent 48 years of my life after putting Jesus in my heart in the third grade, I spent 48 years doing nothing. And at the peak, at the bottom of the trough, after doing nothing, he says, I got you. I got you. It felt as if someone put a warm blanket around my shoulders in the back of that helicopter. I was freezing and then I was warm. We made it out of those mountains. We made it to Norman Wells. Norman Wells doesn't have a hospital, they have a nursing station. I was really happy to see those nurses. They sent a medevac jet to get me. Then they medevac jetted me to Yellowknife where I went into surgery. Surgery was six and a half hours. You're awake the whole time. They have you on morphine. There's nurses, I mean, just all over in the room. Two doctors are working on me. Surgeons are working on me. They started at my head. I had 57 staples in my head. My hands were broken in six or seven places. In each hand, I had more stitches than you could count. In-house nursing care for 90-plus days. And I'll never forget just the commotion in that room, right? It was just like, it was organized chaos, right? And it's all this, and there was one nurse in the back. I'll never forget her. She was rattling off many, many grisly facts, of what, a lot of which I just told you today. And she came over to my foot of my bed. She was like responsible for my comfort in the bed. And she flipped up that blanket on the toe of my bed. She put it up over my feet. She's like, hey, uh, what's up with your toes? <laughs> yeah. I was on morphine, and I had a wonderful time explaining that. <laughs> and I'll never forget as she retreated back to her corner. She said, when is the last time somebody came in here after a grizzly attack that was alive or lived? And I will never forget those words that echo in my mind to this day. You know, I got a photo sent to me of the six other men in that hunt party that were there. As you can see, all six of them got a beautiful Canadian moose. I think there's a slot on the end for my moose, but I didn't get one. I got something a lot better. I got something a lot better that changed my life. I'm gonna close this out in prayer. Just get relaxed. Let's just get our feet on the ground. Uncross our arms. Get in your little spot and just relax your mind. You know, the devil's like, you know what, everything, we got so many things you got to do after church day. It's Father's Day. You know what you got to do, man? Just, Lord, I just pray that you just suit everybody up, as Ephesians 6 says, with our armor. Deflect all of Satan's arrows. Deflect them all, Father. As we just take 60 seconds and close out in prayer. And just be completely grounded and completely with you, Father, where we hear no external voices and we give our soul attention to you. I'm gonna pray that we just bow our heads. Man, let's close our eyes. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I want you to envision in your mind 
So you can envision anything in your mind. <laughs> it's like the perfect Picasso and the Michelangelo. You can build anything you want in your mind's eye. And I just want you to just have a white canvas up there. And as I speak this aloud, I just want you to envision it. You ready? We're going to go on a journey together. You are now in the back of that helicopter. Do you see yourself? You see yourself in your mind's eye. You can hear the rotor blades over you just take a look down at your body right now your clothes are shredded you feel blood coming out of your back dripping down your neck coming out of your thighs your ribs you can see that red blood of yours just dripping onto the floor and the puddle gets bigger and bigger and bigger you lose consciousness you wake up and you ask yourself, if I close my eyes again right now and I never open them again, am I going to heaven or am I going to hell? <laughs> you know, in Revelations, it talks about the Lamb's book of life. And in this book is every single name that is written in the book of every single person that has given their life to Jesus Christ. Can you see this book? Vision this book in front of you. What, would, what kind of book would God have where every single person that has given their life to Jesus Christ, their name is meticulously written in the book. Can you see it? I just imagine the splendor of this book. It's probably got this big lock on it. Do you see it in your mind? Now open that book. It's opening up in front of your eyes right now. It's opening. Ah, the pages are separating. Can you see it? Can you feel it? And it falls on a page where your last name is or should be. Look at it. Do you see your name? Do you unequivocally see your name in that book right now? Are you going to heaven? Somebody, you're like, well, maybe I'm going to heaven. I think I'm going to heaven. I come to church every week. I must be going to heaven. I do great things. I must be going to heaven. I've been baptized. I must be going to heaven. People say I'm going to heaven. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt? Do you see your name in that book? I'm going to say a prayer out loud. And if you want to walk out of these doors today, then knowing that no matter what happens in your life, that unequivocally, if you ever close them here, you will open them in heaven and your name will for permanently be written in that book. I'm gonna say a prayer out loud and I'm just gonna ask that you repeat it to yourself. Ladies and gentlemen, you would have to, I would chain myself to one of these pews before somebody could pull me out that door. Not knowing I would never leave before I knew my name was in the book before I stepped outside. Would not happen. Do you see your name? Do you want it written in there? With our eyes closed and our heads bowed, if that's you, I'm just going to say this prayer out loud. Just repeat it to yourself. It goes like this. Dear Jesus, Jesus, today, I invite you into my heart. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I surrender my life. Jesus, 
I surrender everything to you. Forgive me. Thanks for listening. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. For more information, if you're in need of prayer or just want to connect with the community, go to reslife.org, follow us on social media, or email us anytime at reslife at reslife.org. We hope you have a blessed day, and we will see you again soon.